Welcome to episode 9 of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. This week we've got Scott Hames, the recently retired former chief marketing and analytics officer from Bed Bath & Beyond. But he's done some tours over at Macy's, Foot Locker, the guy just knows retail, and he goes into it with me in this episode, uh, specifically on loyalty and what he thinks is necessary in today's competitive retail market. He talks about aspects of loyalty that he thinks is being done right, uh, as well as what it takes to really organize and create a program for larger retailers as well as boutique retailers. So it's got everything for everybody, and I really hope you enjoy it because we had a great chat. All right. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Today, I've got Mr. Scott Hames, a veteran of over 18 years at Bed Bath & Beyond and some other retailers. And uh, he is currently a, a retired chief marketing and analytics officer there. And I'm really excited to have him. We're going to have a, an interesting conversation on trends in loyalty and retail through based on his experience uh, on the front lines uh, exploring and testing a lot of interesting things. Now, one thing I want to uh, speak to this before I kick it to Scott to go deeper in his intro. Um, you know, he's recently retired, as we said, but he is not going to be speaking and he's unable to speak specifically to some of the details at Bed Bath and Beyond, but he's going to speak more in general as well as some of experiences with other retailers. So for those of you just waiting on this call to get some dirt on Bed Bath, ain't going to be here. All right. We understand, uh, exactly what's happening. So, so Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Take, tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, thank you, Eric, and thanks for having me. Uh, you know, as you said, I was the chief marketing and analytics officer at Bed Bath & Beyond. I've just recently retired 18 years at the company, 18 great years, um, and now enjoying life a little bit. So um, prior to that, I was uh, had product development for the home store at Macy's and really got my roots in merchandising in department stores, mainly Macy's and the Broadway, LA, and Los Angeles. And I also had another role of a senior VP planning and allocation at Foot Locker. So that's my background. Awesome. So it's great to have someone who's sort of seen it and, and a, bunch, a number of different retailers as well, because not every brand takes on loyalty in the same fashion and uh, their relationship with their customers uh, can be very different. So it's great that you've, you've seen a number of different layers on that. So, so let's get started. And so when we're talking about loyalty, you know, I, I always think about, you know, why does it really matter and does it matter? Um, so I guess the first question is, you know, why does it matter to you? I mean, what, what really makes a company sticky? Oh boy, it's uh, so I think no retailer really has an answer to that, but um, it's critical. It's critical in today's world, and the uh, evolution of it is changing quickly. Mainly, I think because of technology and personalization and data, but it still comes back down just to the fundamental principles. I think is really trust, uh, relevancy, um, affinity for the brand, and even the customer lifestyle. And it also comes into play as a service proposition and the overall relationship that uh, the brand is able to create with that customer. If they can hit all on all those fronts, then they become sticky and the customer will go back and have another purchase. No, that's, that's super easy. Why isn't everyone doing it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> when you think about, um, uh, you know, the experience of the cash register at stores or the call center, you know, the, the, just the, 
numerous different touch points that a retailer can have with a customer. It's easy for any of those to break down. And once they start breaking down, you start losing the trust with the customer. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to, you know, also it's critical. I think just fundamentally the product price and convenience, those three things, you know, I'm going to call it the underlying value proposition of a, of a retailer are critical. You've got to hit all three of those just to be in the game. And everybody, you know, all retailers are really competing on those three fronts very um, rigorously. And as you can see, it's a very competitive space out there. And then when you get into loyalty programs and CRM programs, those are the things that can make a difference. Only and if a retailer has really hit those three fronts and has uh, nailed them. So just on that quickly, um, you know, I, can you think of some examples that you know you would look to now as boy these guys have sort of figured out how to be sticky how to be uh first from a trust and relevancy as well as the price and the product component um yeah i think you know when you think about you know when you break those three components product price and convenience i think retailers have to all three but they're they're three independent type of relationships product is probably the one that uh, most, I think, customers are, are familiar with, and that's basically um, creating a brand affinity with the product that a retailer carries. And customers will identify with that brand if they like it. You've got to have that right first and foremost. And a lot of companies have nailed it. You know, they've nailed uh, it by having high quality product, something a product that's priced uh, at the right price or it hits a certain utility that the customer needs. And once the product is there, then, you know, what is paramount in their mind is, am I being treated fairly on price and how hard or difficult is it going to be to get that? And then after that is, can I trust the retailer to um, meet all of the obligations that they've given me if I were to buy this product? In other words, can I return it? Um, can I find information about it? If I have a question, is it easy for me to get to that? And so when you look at you know, obviously the successful retailers, Apple is the one, you know, I was going to speak to them a little bit as well. They're the ones who are just, in my opinion, hitting on all marks right now is obviously they have a superior product. But when you start going um, and looking at their, the relationship that they've created with the customer in the stores online, um, it's just superior. And uh, it basically creates a, a great deal of trust in them. And that's how they're starting to expand their overall ecosystem to get into more and more services beyond just the product. Definitely. Yeah, that expansion, you know, you could leverage that that relationship to do lots of things once that that trust is established and and you have that that understanding of, of who your customer is. That's great. So so getting back to loyalty then, you know, again, I think you know, people often just sort of think of loyalty, it's a platform, it's a tool, it's a technology. Um, you know, I think you, you have a, an opinion about that as well. What, what, what when it comes to your sense, well, what's most important about that? There's a couple of different definitions. A lot of I'm gonna say if you're in the business and you think of loyalty, you think of it as a loyalty program. And those are what a lot of retailers think of as a rewards program, a points program, a subscription program. And these are tactical uh, methods of creating a marketing program uh, for various different reasons uh, to be able to communicate with the customer and hopefully create more stickiness with the customer. And they do, they all, all of those work um, depending on a number of different factors. But I think, you know, in the evolution of what's happened in today's world, 
loyalty has gone beyond that. Loyalty now is really more about the trusted relationship with the retailers for the factors that I just talked about. Hitting on all those fronts, product, price, convenience. I think experience has now come into play a lot in terms of the, you know, the, the uh, customer journey and the experience. And then also offering great values um, with those different types of loyalty programs that we just talked about. So it's more than loyalty overall is more than just a tool or a program, but these loyalty programs are very critical um, in, I'm going to say, creating the overall relationship and balancing out all the different ways that a retailer can communicate with the customer and bring value to that customer. Definitely. And I think, you know, in your experience, when you're looking at the, the, the broad swath of what loyalty programs are, you know, how do you do evaluate whether it's a points program or some other type of tiers? Is Do you have a, a criteria for figuring that out? Or is it just something that you have to work through and uh, get a sense of what the customer wants or needs? Um, you know, it's funny, even within uh, organizations, uh, you, you get... I don't think there's, there, I, I have a couple of points of view on it, but, um, the, you know, there's an irony is even within an organization, different people have different points of view in terms of what, um, they like in terms of a loyalty program. Those are religious, I call those religious discussions. Yeah. Religious, heavy, heavy discussions. And it's hard, uh, gaining a convention, but I guess the one, the one thing that, um, a couple of things that I've, I've, I think I've learned is, you know, the narrower your product category or the more specialized you are allows you to become much more of a CRM expert around that customer's journey. And then, therefore, when you start tailoring a program around it, you can um, uh, enhance whether it's a program of rewards or points or even subscription, depending on if you're in a uh, high, high traffic business, you can tailor that very specific around a customer. So it becomes a, a great tool. Um, another, uh, another good example is if you're, if you're a customer, I'm going to say in a commodities business or um, something like groceries or HBA, um, these are high frequent um, purchases and, uh, when you when you get it, subscription programs start to work, you know, I'll give you an example, baby diapers, you know, something that's going to be needed continuously over time. Um, it's easy to build out subscription programs. And basically what you're doing is you're gaining the customer's purchase over time because they're going to be making that same purchase over and over and over again. Coffee's one, baby's one. Um, you can get into batteries and light bulbs and things like that. And uh, filters, I think I've seen filters out there in the industry a lot for water filters and things like that for your refrigerator or house. So um, where you need to make these repeat purchases, subscription programs work well. They also work well if you're in a, a retailer of a very broad category. Uh, you have, you have, I'm going to say not thousands of SKUs, but millions of SKUs, of, 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 uh, SKUs across many categories of product. Amazon and Costco to me are the two <clears throat> um, best examples where they have millions and millions of SKUs. They have hundreds or thousands of categories of product. Um, and their goal with a subscription-based program is to put value around that with either free shipping or certain discounts um, around it or enhanced offerings if you're a subscriber to it. Um, and that basically um, 
makes those millions of SKUs uh, in the in the customer's mind, they see value there. You know, it's easy. Amazon's the easiest, right? A customer who signs up for their Prime program can easily rationalize in their mind: I'm going to save the money on shipping if I sign up because I'm going to buy there twice a month or three times a month. Same thing with a grocery store. Same thing with Costco. So I think people really um, adhere or, 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 or value those a lot, and obviously they're working because both of these retailers are highly successful and are doing well with them. Yeah, I think you know that speaks exactly back to what you mentioned earlier, where this concept of if you're hitting on product, price, and convenience, I mean, subscription model hits all those, right? Yes. You're, you're hopefully getting the product you want at a discounted price because you're committing to a recurring revenue of a long-term relationship. And yeah. it's convenient because you don't have to bother and worry about it. I, I agree. I think that's a really it's – a, it's a place a lot of retailers are going to try to push their customers. Um you know, to the point where Amazon has those great little uh, digital buttons where it's just... And I think, uh, you know, another one, I'm going to say department stores, um, a lot of specialty stores, uh, they run on a high-low model, you know, and high-low means they're, they're, they have frequent sales and events. And they have to communicate those sales and those events to customers to show the value to bring the customer into the store or get them to shop online. Loyalty programs can augment those sales um, and events. Number one is when the customer signs up for a loyalty program, you're getting, um, you know, you're tagging that customer. So therefore you're starting to get information about that customer and you can basically start tailoring the programs, which we'll talk a little bit later with personalization. But um, those high-low retailers can, with very little additional marketing expense, use the normal communication protocol, but start now offering rewards when they're um, marketing these values to their customers that they would have been marketing anyway, but they're gaining more in- information about the customer. They're getting insight and they can start use leveraging this to tailor uh, their programs uh, better to hopefully create more stickiness with that customer or more relevancy, I should say. So, so let's talk about sort of some of these bigger trends, some of these more seismic shifts that, that we're seeing companies uh, move towards or currently if they're avoiding at their own peril. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big ones, and we've hit it already, but I, you know, I wanted you to go a little more detail. You know, when we talk about convenience, that's, that's something that's really important to today's shoppers. And uh, you mentioned a bit about Amazon, but go into more detail about what, what we're looking at here as it relates to generating that loyalty. Yeah, I think, I think convenience – you know, that's the one that really hit me um, that I think Jeff Bezos and Amazon hit basically, you know, in the early 2000s. And they're basically ahead of the pack on it um, by leveraging the web and free shipping and fast shipping. Um, and, um, you know, back back in those days, uh, free shipping wasn't really heard of. Fast shipping wasn't really heard of because it was an expense. And I think retailers look at it that way. Um, but there's a customer motion surrounding a, fee, a, a convenience. And I don't think retailers recognize the importance of that. And I've been watching these interviews with Jeff Bezos on TV, and he basically said, well, if I can get a, a package to a customer fast, number one is they acknowledge it. They basically create a positive image of the company, and they start trusting the company more because they get that fulfillment or satisfaction of a fast delivery quickly. And I think basically a lot of the people in the industry totally overlooked the value of that and weren't willing and or weren't willing to sacrifice the loss of um, profitability in order to, um, you know, drive that convenience for the customer. And one was obviously the fast getting the next day. 
They also happen to have, you know, reputation for uh, everyday low prices and uh, the lowest prices out there. So they started gaining trust with the customer that way. And then at the end of the day, their service became better and better and better because Jeff Bezos recognized the relationship with the customer and keeping that trust with the customer was so critical. And I think it started really out of just the convenience uh, aspect of it and the, and the way he was able to build out that distribution chain. So um, I think it was a miss on my part in the early 2000s. And um, I think a lot of other retailers missed it too. And they basically were slow to the game and uh, catching up with that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, Bezos had that long tail view where he would fast sacrifice some of the profitability from the shipping to be first and foremost in his customer's mind moving forward. I mean, that was just such an interesting approach. And there's still a very long tail on how they look at things, which is, is, I think, still a competitive advantage for them in in many ways. He's built out this distribution network that, um, you know, allows him to get product to customers' houses cheaper and faster than almost any other retailer. So, yeah, he's... Very, very bright in that aspect. So, so another big shift that I think a lot of companies are doing is, is they're taking advantage of the technologies. They're taking advantage of, of everything and the data for you and yourself as well to really create new ways to engage. Um, you know, what does engagement mean to you in this context? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, to put that shift in context a little bit, you know, as you know, retail's evolved. The one one experience that I've seen is the retailers are all looking more and more and more alike. You know, and I think they all have differentiation of product as one of a critical aspect of what they do. But at the end of the day, they still look more and more alike. And it's easier for the customer to shop online to compare retailers, right? So um, they have to compete from a product standpoint very aggressively. So they start, you know, retailers start, you know, the, the, the thing is, how do you how do you make a difference? How do you differentiate yourself beyond just product? And um, that engagement and that experience around the customer um, are major trends that you see happening right now. Um, the first is the engagement. I'm going to say uh, make all the CRM uh, platforms that are being built out, uh, customer relationship management, the, the uh, communicate marketing communication strategies that are being built to basically um, create more relevant communications with the customer um, to gain that trust uh, are, is a huge trend. And wherever I've, wherever I've gone, I've just seen huge investments in um, CRM platforms, the data management behind the CRM platforms, um, building out a customer ecosystem in order uh, for the retailers to have a much more enhanced or more relevant communication with that yeah. customer. It's hard to do. It's data-driven. It takes technology to be able to do this. And the larger you are as a company, um, the more investment's involved. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Your last title or your role at Bed Bath was Chief Marketing and Analytics. Uh-huh. It's not often that you see that called out specifically, right? It's sort of assumed, but I think it, I think the fact that it's called out, to me, it says something about where, where Bed Bath puts the weight behind the data yeah it's uh yeah you see um you know analytics can support many parts of the company um and um you know where i was it did support many all different parts of the company but you see it more and more um either as an independent function in the company but they have this whole team focused just on marketing and customer data management and or you see it within marketing and or you'll see both you'll see an independent uh, separate analytics team 
uh, and then the marketing team, you know, there's, there's a, a, like in a federated model would have their own analytics team supporting just them because doing the data mining, um, on finding customer affinities, um, uh, supporting all of the data management around the CRM system is just a huge endeavor within an organization. Yeah. So, yes, definitely. Um, okay. So, so we go from sort of the data side to the other side, which is sort of the experience. And, and you know, I, uh, back in the day, I worked under with Urban Outfitters and the brands there had a really interesting take on experience in that Anthropology, for example, is a store. They spent essentially almost no money on marketing. They spent all their money on their store experience, making each store almost its own little Disneyland for their target market. And I think that's something that I know you, you reflect on as well. So when you think of experience, you know, how important that is that nowadays? I think um, experience is critical. You know, it's, it's one of those elements of gaining trust. It's also the wowness of being able to have newness and uh, excitement, um, you know, with, I call it the wow factor. I think every retailer always stresses for the wow factor. But with the, uh, the ease of shopping online and the movement online to digital, the uh, in-store experience um, is just more critical than ever. And, um, you know, I think everybody's aware that uh, the foot number of stores uh, closing around the United States is uh, still rapid, I guess. It's still big. And uh, the ones that are remaining, they're all being uh, remodeled and refitted to create a much more enhanced experience because you've got to figure out a way to entice the customer to come in the store when they don't have to. Years ago, they had to. So yeah, basically, I think retailers got lazy or a lot of retailers, not all retailers, but a lot of retailers got lazy. Now, um, if you're going to have a customer come in a store, uh, you've got to you've got to entice them some way. And part of it is the experience within the footprint of the store itself. And then I'd also say thing is that, you know, the, the competition online continues to go and the digital experience um, is uh, very important as well. It's a little bit more, you know, in the store, it's not it used to, in the store, you know, it used to be how fast can you f- they find the product they want because they're in a hurry and um, how easy for it is to find them, how easy it for it is to check out of the checkout lines short, all those kinds of things are important. But now in the store, you, uh, I think the romance factor and the wow factor and the sizzle factor is increasing its importance because you want customers to come back. Online, it's almost the same way. Um, it used to be, or it still is, how fast can a customer find the product they want as quick as possible, do comparative shopping because they're in a hurry. And then um, um, building out the UX experience uh, so that, a customer can get there quickly, fast, find what they're looking for, find the information that they're looking for, do comparative shopping to make sure they're getting a good deal, and then check out quickly is still part of the function. But along the way, you want to basically now, you know, now it's basically you want to see how can I add value to that customer's journey within with within um, their experience, but not slow them down so that they um, get frustrated in that journey. So you see all sorts of personalization schemes coming up where, you know, uh, other customers like you shopped um, and how you do that. So it's not obtrusive is important. So the creative aspects are, uh, I think, gaining more and more importance re- around that. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that the opportunity of, of leveraging the digital medium uh, in new and unique ways, I think we still haven't really scratched the surface there. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think we're going to see some interesting types of engagement coming. So so pulling all those together, the convenience, the engagement, the experience. I think you know when we think about personalization as well. You know, Apple comes to mind. I think you know you you've mentioned them earlier, but you know, time and time again, you know those are the guys that that are laying laying the table that other retailers have to follow. Yeah, I think um, you know they happen to be <clears throat> they happen to have it all, and that's a, they have a brand. They happen to be a private label brand. They're their own brand, so they're selling their own product. So, uh, you know, everything is about the brand itself. They've created an ecosystem around their brand, um, and they're creating an experience in the stores and online uh, from a creative aspect, but also just an experience that's great around the brand. Obviously, it starts with superior product. But, you know, if I'm, I'm – I'm not sure if you know anybody that has bought Apple product either online or in a store. <clears throat> when you start, when you go through the transaction, on the ease of the transaction in the store itself, you don't even have to have a bag to take it out. Um, the sales associate can do that right there on their mobile device. Very easy. They're there to help you shop and help you find what you want, answer any questions. Um, they also have omni-channel consistency. So when you're basically, um, you know, a good example is I bought a watch. The day the watch, you know, I get notices, notifications on when the watch is going to be delivered. It got delivered exactly when they said it was going to be delivered. Five minutes after it got delivered, uh, I got a text saying from Apple this time, you know, saying, hey, your watch has been delivered. Um, you want to set up uh, time, just, you know, click here and we'll set up a link and we set a time that we can take you through the setup of your watch. That later that day, I got an email talking about the watch delivery that I got. And uh, if I have any questions, please reach out. Uh, when you when you think about how sophisticated the data man and I think about the analytics and the data management behind it and the CRM programs around that, that's an individual that they're following through holding that individual's hand all the way from the store to the home to the delivery of the product and the setup of the product, and it is seamless. I'm talking within minutes or even seconds sometimes on delivery, they know that you've received it. And then they follow up later, obviously, asking how it's been done. So, um, you know, if you know when Walmart and Amazon and, you know, these broad general merchandisers get to that level of specificity where they're hand-holding uh, you through it, that'll be a great day. But Apple's able to do it because they're, you know, they're a niche category player. So therefore... Um, building out that experience is a little bit less painful, but with the millions and millions and millions of customers, it's you know, still a huge feat for them to be able to accomplish something like that. But that's where you see retail going. And I think that our retailers should strive for that positive of an experience. Yeah. They've obviously prioritized understanding those moments of consequence in a shopper's journey. And you know, if you're able to be there with the right message at every given point, you know, that you come away with a, a really happy customer as you are yeah every message is highly relevant you know and and speaking of that relevance i think that gets us to the next topic and we'll be closing out on it is really going deeper into sort of loyalty and and more specifically the personalized aspects of it now how how it can be achieved um what your experience has been in trying to execute on something that i think a lot of folks are are struggling with right now is yeah talked about yeah 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 talked about you know apple being able to narrow nail it um you know, just the sheer size and investment that they can put into these CRM systems. But, you know, overall, you know, it, it comes back to kind of what I was talking about before is the overall value proposition has to be on the brand affinity, the breadth of the assortment, the distribution channel. They all have 
impact on how you want to tailor your own program. And um, you've got to sit back and think about it. You've got to, you know, talk to experts about, you know, what what is the best way to approach whatever business model I'm in and all of those different aspects in terms of what I can deliver as a company. And, um, you know, the, the other thing, you know, I just want to call it is loyalty is something that's earned. It's not given. And to build trust, it's like building trust in a retailer. Um, so the execution of these CRM programs and loyalty programs and keep making them sure that they're right on and relevant um, if it's if not done right, you can build mistrust, which is basically it can work against you if you're not doing it correctly. So um, I think just retailers overall need to focus on the fact that customers have a lot of choices. Differentiation through personalization, I think, is one of the uh, ways that retailers can stand out a little bit. I think CRM programs and loyalty programs built around their value proposition can help enhance the overall experience and make the difference. Definitely. And I think um, when you talk about sort of the uh, the focus uh, and for you at, at different retailers, is it is it always the focus or do you reevaluate that at different points based on your brand, based on the customers you're trying to reach? Uh, is it sort of a, a non-starter if you don't go there? I mean, I'm not sure how you think about the prioritization aspects of it. Um, you know, it's, I would say, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I can probably bring up example after example, you know, I won't name retailers, but where every two years they get a new person in marketing and they change out their loyalty program, you know, and it happens a lot. And when that happens, it means that I think it was a slap on, you know, they basically, Hey, we need a loyalty program. And they didn't really think through how to build out the model in a sustainable fashion to drive their loyalty because they don't need to change it that often. Technology is not changing that fast, but, and the things that they've changed were, you know, the whole creative and branding of it, number one, the marketing of it, which is probably not uh, critical, but also the reward structure, the point structure. And that, uh, that's an indication to me that they built it out wrong because it's not working. If it was working, why would they change it? Right. And you see that over and over and over again. So, I think it's very critical for brands to really think through this and start slow. You know, they, you start slow and learn so that as you build on it and as you start augmenting new values into your loyalty program, that uh, you're not going down a direction that you're going to have to reverse course later on. Because it's a huge expense to change out and change a loyalty program. out. Yeah. And it's also a big, you know, cost to the customer because if, if they've grown attached to a certain type of program, they they understand how it works, they know how to access yeah. the channel through their phone, and all of a sudden things change up, and and that that's a that's a problem too. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And you know, I think you know, depending on who the retailer is, if you're a petite company or narrow, you know, narrow categories, it's easier for you to um, build out a I'm going to say a personalization or a CRM program like an Apple program. If you're a broader general merchandiser. You really, really need to be critical in terms of, uh, you know, if you're going to go with a points program or a rewards program or a subscription program or all three, or, you know, you've got the credit cards that you can layer onto that. And all of a sudden you realize that you've got layer upon layer of different loyalty programs and customers don't have an attention span to be able to um, um, pay attention to all those different types of programs. And some retailers actually get a little bit too aggressive and they've built on more programs that customers care to understand. 
Yeah, I think it's it's sort of a, you mentioned both that the the dichotomy between the boutique retailer and the general retailer. I think also it's it's the, does the the marketing team have the strategy to come up with those special programs for micro segments, right? I think to your point is it's, yeah. it's easier on the boutique side, but for the general retailer, wow, that that's a lot of content. It's a lot of thinking that has to happen. And we'll get to some examples of, of how they struggle with that yeah. later on, but I think it's important to to talk about that too. So, so let's talk about an example, right? So, uh, we were talking about uh, uh, campaigns that are trying to leverage both the data and the customer and the product and the convenience, um, like a display ad. You know, talk us through a little bit how you know you as a as a as a marketer look at that and what has to happen to, to create a more personalized execution. Yeah, you know, um, I think that's a, a, a it's a huge challenge for I think big retailers. Um, I don't think anybody's really doing a good job at it yet. I, don't, I, I haven't seen any. I, uh, the small boutique retailers, I, I think uh, I've seen um, them doing a good job, especially if you're an online only. This is, I think, an advantage if you're uh, in a narrow niche online only category, whether it's uh, just say it's a, uh, a company that does boutique sheets, you know, um, or uh, candles or, you know, and there's a lot of these out there. Basically, they can tailor their marketing programs with uh, basically the, the, the marketing team is probably managing all of these touch points, including the creative, the data, they're probably not managing the data, but they're basically working very closely with the data. But when you get into broader and broader companies and bigger companies, um, you're going to say like an Amazon or a Macy's or even a Bed Bath & Beyond or Walmart, they have thousands and thousands and thousands of categories. And for them to build out CRM programs around life stage, lifestyle, product affinity, um, you know, transactions takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of people. And the investment of time, effort, and people uh, is something that's critical. So I think their focus is now building on, I'm going to say the marketing technology stacks and um, using AI and pro- programmatic marketing and CRM programs to be able to get better and better and better at it. That's still got a long ways to go before it evolves to the point where I'm going to say it's relevant to the customer the way that it should be like a smaller boutique firm can deliver, if, if, it, if it can. And, you know, give you a good, some good examples in a display ad, um, you know, uh, you, you think about a, a team and a lot of oftentimes how they're broken out is there's a, a creative team that is responsible for building out creative, but they're doing creative much, you know, for the, for say an entire company, there's a display ad team could be an agency team. There's an agency, there's an agency that does targeting for you. Um, there's an analytics team. There's a marketing team within analytics that's uh, doing data, data diving and finding these segments of customers to target. And they're working with the analytics team to, or the, the agency to you know, target these customers and display ads around the company. There's a merchant team who basically is, I'm going to say, um, uh, sponsoring the ad because they are, you know, are driving some product. They could be sponsoring the ad or it could be around uh, a marketing sponsored ad around lifestyle or life stage. These are all different teams and they all have to be coordinated in a way 
And you, if you think there's thousands and thousands and thousands of categories with a Walmart or a Target or an Amazon or a Macy's, um, the time and the people and the resources that are dedicated to a micro segment around, just say, a category, a product, I could call it towels or candles or, you know, um, you know, any number of different categories. Outside the merchant, none of these other people are experts in that category. So it's easy to see display ads that are run that basically are formulation. I'm going to say it's a consensus of the group and it's a production model because they've got to be efficient. And then by the time this ad hits the customer, it's really not that relevant. It's more about targeting and productivity ad and the response rate of the ad, but it could be so much better if it was, you know, um, if the creative and the copy and the targeting, all of that was formulated in a way that it was highly relevant. And I think what you see happening in these companies, uh, in their ability to deal with this, I'm going to call it an agile method of of evolution, is um, I think you see a lot of realignment in uh, larger companies around the customer. So it's almost like going to the boutique model because – when you go to a boutique retailer or, you know, a niche retailer, their whole team is aligned around a particular segment. So they're already there. You know, they're ahead of these other larger companies. So you're creating micro boutiques within the larger yeah. retailer. And we're aligning by customer. And, you know, um, again, I'm going to call it somewhat of a federated model in terms of how you build out centers of excellence in analytics and you build out centers of excellence in just say marketing uh, functions, you know, if it's uh, search or display or email or direct mail, and you're building out centers of excellence uh, in merchandising, um, and you also build out centers of excellence, say, in uh, web and uh, analytics, you're bringing together teams of people that are all on a single team, you know, in this, and they become an agile team focused on a single segment of customer. And then their job or their role is to start creating marketing campaigns, omni-channel campaigns, by the way, beyond just particular any one marketing function, omni-channel campaigns around a particular customer segment. And then they can do all the testing and learning and um, uh, on their own, move at their own speed, look at the productivity and the way the response is happening over time, but also, you know, uh, instantaneous versus the cost that they're doing, and then they can evolve that segment. So I think, I think you're going to see in what's allowing this really is technology. Uh, and it's all the different, you know, the, the, the technology stack uh, within the marketing and analytics teams that brings all that data together and the ability to execute across all of these different functions is finally coming together in a way that these teams can start performing in an agile way and actually execute something on their own versus put one of their initiatives in a queue and wait for it to get done. So uh, I think you're going to see more and more of that happening uh, with companies. Yeah, and I think you know, part of what you're saying too is, is a shift away. And there's always this ebb and flow from centralization to decentralization to more of a decentralized model where you're putting power uh, in the marketers who are closer to those specific segments, those customers in this sort of boutique model. I think that's, that's a trend. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Great. Awesome. Yeah, so I definitely see that that federated model is something we're going to see more moving out in the future. So, so, uh, so tying this up for us, Scott, you know, how, how do you see the, the future now? 
uh, for these retailers? I think, you know, aside from, you know, the evolution of relevancy and technology and, um, um, you know, the, the bigger picture of loyalty has changed. I think also internally within organizations, uh, creating a culture around, um, I'm going to becoming more and more customer centric. Um, and it may go out beyond just the, uh, marketing teams. Uh, and the loyalty teams to the rest of the organization. I think that's becoming more and more critical uh, for success. And also um, um, just creating this culture within the organization to be focused just 100% on the customer and then building out and supporting all of the communication and the engagement around that customer so that you become more and more relevant. So that culture is so important to get um, that mindset around. And it needs to be, obviously, I think I said it before, in an omni-channel world. So bringing all the different functions and disciplines within the organization so there's a central touch point so everybody's communicating with the customer, the same customer, the same way. And I think that's, uh, overall, it's not an easy task to accomplish, but I think that mindset within the organization is something um, that's not only a trend, but it's critical for success. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for taking the time to speak to me and my listeners. Right. And um, if folks want to reach out to you or uh, uh, engage you uh, with more of your thoughts and approaches to retail, how, how best should they do that? I think the easiest way is just to uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Scott Hames. And um, um, I'm there, easy to find. And uh, that's, the I think, the fastest, easiest way because it's uh, always current. Awesome. So I'll have a link to that in the comments. But uh, again, thank you very much and uh, good day and uh, good luck with the rest of the holidays. Thank you for having me and uh, happy holidays to you too.